0: Well, you get to play doctor this morning. I'm going to tell you the symptoms, and you tell me what is wrong with this person. Are you ready? I'm sure that all of you will get this the first time. Here's the symptoms. Sweating, shaking, trembling, chills or hot flashes, difficulty breathing, sensation of choking, increased heart rate, tightness in your chest, nausea, dry mouth, ringing in your ears, dizziness, fainting, confusion. Survey says... Not wedding day, not COVID. Survey says the fear of being alone. The fear of being alone, phoba. It's like FOMO, only different. Now, the idea, this, this fear, it's also called autophobia, isolophobia, monophobia, or my favorite, aromaphobia. Why is aromaphobia my favorite of all these? Well, because it's a compound word. From the Greek, aremos and phabos. Aremos for wilderness or solitary place. And phabos, you could hear the the word fear in there, can't you? Go to that next slide there. We'll see kind of what that looks like. There it is. Because all of you know how to speak Greek and you know the Greek letters. So you you got it dialed in. Now, this is a little bit similar to sedatophobia, which is the fear of silence. Silence. Dramatic pause. 50 years ago, this was totally unheard of. The fear of silence. Psychologists say silence is scary to some because it creates a sense of anticipation. What's going to happen next? And not knowing what's going to come next is scary. Basically, it's anxiety, I think, because you realize you can't control your circumstances. So the fear of silence goes along with this fear of being alone. It's interesting. One journal article even pointed to the awkward silence in a conversation, which made people feel distressed, afraid, hurt, and rejected. Feeling a loss in belonging and validation. there are these beautiful golden moments of silence that we jump into really quickly. And yet God is wanting to invade our conversations in those moments. A consulting doctor said this, these patients report an unhealthy need for constant noise and interaction with others, which can cause serious problems in their life. You don't have to be a doctor to know that there might be something wrong if silence is scary to you. And last week, we talked about Jesus' regular rhythm of drawing away in solitude and silence with his Father God. And the Greek word for that quiet place or place of solitude used, guess what it is? Eremos. Jesus Frequently goes to this solitary place, this quiet place. And yet, scores of people in our culture are aromaphobic, fearful of being alone. In fact, Luke 5, 15 says this. This is where this word comes up, Eramas, in verse 16 here. Verse 15, the news about him, Jesus, spread all the more so that Crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places, Eremos, places of solitude, and prayed. So this morning, we're going to build on what we talked about last week. And that is this concept of solitude and silence these postures that we must learn in our walk with Jesus if we want to imitate him, if we want to live his life to the fullest. I'm going to challenge you to adopt these postures. We're going to explore the benefits. And at the end, I'm going to give you 10 practical steps on how to guide you through a 10-minute time of silence. That might sound scary to you, but I believe you can do it. Some time alone with God this week. So, we're commanded to walk in his steps. That's what 1 Peter two twenty one. I love this picture of walking in Jesus' steps, letting the dust of the rabbi be all over you. To this you were called, 1 Peter two twenty one says, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. So we're supposed to walk in his steps and we've learned in the last few weeks we're supposed to walk at his pace. Because if we're wearing his light yoke, we are yoked to him and we walk at his pace. So Jesus knew the Old Testament. And he knew that time alone with his father was the only way he was going to be refreshed. Case in point, Psalm 62, verse 1, 2 and 5. My soul finds rest. In God alone. My salvation comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He's my fortress. I will never be shaken. Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from Him. God is creating a fortress, if you will, for us, for our rest. That we might find our rest in God alone. Psalm 63 goes on to say this in verse 1. The psalmist prays, O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my body longs for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water, there's a thirst for God. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul longs and pants. For you, oh God. That's Psalm 5. Jeremiah 31 25 says, I will refresh the weary and satisfy the faint. I could give you verse after verse after verse from the Old Testament. Jesus knows these things and he's putting them into practice by drawing away in solitude. So, how do we get refreshment from God? We do the same thing that Jesus did, we get still. I shared these verses last week with you. I'm going to share them with you again. Exodus 14, 14. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. The context of that, by the way, is that the Israelites are smashed up against the Red Sea and the Egyptians are coming up behind them. And God says, I'll fight for you. You need only to be still. If there was a moment where you'd feel a little anxious, it would be then. So no matter what your anxious moment right now is, that's the Lord's word to you this morning. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. It's counterintuitive. Psalm 37 verse 7, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Waiting is so hard. But when you do, don't fret. When men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes, be still before the Lord, wait patiently for him. Psalm 46, verse 10. Be still and know that I am God and I will be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. I'm the boss still. Be still. And then of course, 1 Kings 19, where Elijah is having a pity party. He's in a cave. And there's a great wind and an earthquake and a fire and all kinds of crazy things. And then at the end, what the King James Version calls the still small voice of God, or what the NIV calls a whisper. That in the stillness, then God's voice is heard. So let's think of it this way. I'm going to have those guys uh, put a little video up there. There's no sound to it. But... um, It's a jar of water. Imagine our lives like this glass of water. And it's going to get junked up. Make a mixture of soil and water. By all sorts of things in this world. It's our bad decisions, being hurt by others, suffering, pain, sin. It could even just be the stress that we carry. And it's gunking everything up. We get clouded. We get confused. It's hard to see our way forward. Maybe that's some why... Some people fear being alone because they don't, they don't know what's next and it freaks them out. But when we choose to be still, the longer we sit with our loving Heavenly Father, the clearer we become on what's really going on in our lives. And as we get clearer in our own heart and our mind, we're able to actually pour ourselves into others and be a blessing. So this idea of being still, of being silent, all that gunk in your life, right, on the video, that gunk, all stirred up. And yet, the longer we're still, the more all that gunk settles to the bottom, and we're able to be clear on our lives. So let's talk about silence and solitude, these two things this morning. These postures that so many of us are so uncomfortable with. Dallas Willard says this, silence and solitude do go hand in hand, usually. Just as silence is vital to make solitude real, so is solitude needed to make the discipline of silence complete. Very few of us can be silent in the presence of others. Boy, isn't that true. Ruth Haley Barton says this, She writes this, silence deepens our experience of solitude because in silence we choose to unplug not only from the constant stimulation of life in the company of others, but also from our own addiction to noise, words, and activity. She goes on to say this, it creates a space for listening to the knowings that go beyond words and feeling no pressure at all to put the depth, depths of the human soul into words. This is not a time to prepare what you're going to say next or have to produce anything. It's a time to be still and be and let God take us to a deeper place. So let's talk about silence first. Noise pollution. You know, there are not very many Senate subcommittees about noise pollution. Do you know that your brain is constantly working to filter out noise? It's called sensory gating. It's blocking out all the irrelevant noise. And you're actively doing it. Right now, it's just happening. You don't have to think about it. So think about going to a restaurant. Let's say we went to a restaurant... And you would, he- you would have the clinking of plates. You would have people taking orders. You would have the door opening and shutting. You would have a noise from the kitchen. You might have some background music. There would be all these things. And your brain, which is marvelously made by God, would just put a noise gate on all that stuff, and you would just focus on the person in front of you. Occasionally, you'd get distracted if somebody yelled across the restaurant. But it would become a din to you so that you could focus on the person in front of you. Do you know that the increase of noise in our culture has actually taxed our body and our brain more than it can handle? I looked at studies this week because I'm a big nerd and I love it. One study in Japan found a deep connection between sensory gating deficiency and chronic fatigue syndrome. And those with incredibly high sensory gating deficiency, in other words, they, they couldn't They couldn't distinguish. The condition often presented was schizophrenia. The lack of quiet and silence in our culture, the excessive noise in our culture, is compromising actually even our mental health. It's not just your imagination. So why are we addicted to noise? Because I can make the argument that our culture is addicted to noise. A few ideas for you. Some people feel like I need to add drama and meaning to my life. And so they always have a soundtrack in their ears, feeling very epic about whatever they're doing at the moment. Or, you know, the media doesn't really give any silence. That's called dead air, and it's a bad media practice. So we don't see it in our media. We've normalized very high levels of noise in public places. Restaurants are a great example and noise distracts and numbs us to what we might be sensing or feeling, keeps us from having to pay attention to our own thoughts, drowns out those internal voices, that internal noise. So let's talk about internal silence. Internal silence. We talked about external. Now let's talk about internal. Because if silence is scary to you, there's probably some soul work that we all need to be doing. That's a key. But silence seems to be risky for all of us because we all carry brokenness. And so we create a whole lot of internal noise so we don't have to look at our brokenness. And noise is also a tool of the enemy. It was C.S. Lewis in the screw Tape Letters, and this is a um, satirical... Um, fun collection of these letters between two demons that are plotting against Christians. And the demons are complaining that silence is a danger to their efforts of ruining the Christian soul. The senior demon named Screwtape calls the the devil's realm a kingdom of noise and claims we will make the whole universe a noise in the end. But more than demons... We're using the external and even internal noise to drown out those things that are in our hearts. That when we're really quiet, we replay that painful situation that happened to us over and over and over. Or the running critique and the commentary that seems to be going around in our minds about everything. Or our lustful thoughts about that guy or that girl. Or our revenge fantasies. The next time I see him, I'm going to say this. I'm going to do this our worry, and the what-if planning that we do in our minds, the obsessing with hypothetical situations, the role-playing of the future, the dreaming of the perfect life which actually ruins our actual life. If you're like me, there can be a lot of internal noise. And while external noise is easier to turn off because... My phone has an on-off button. Internal noise does not have an on-off switch. But silence is good and necessary. St. Augustine said in his poetry that entering silence is entering joy. Henry Nouwen says silence is the way to make solitude a reality. And of course, my favorite, that's why I'm wearing the sweater today, Mr. Rogers, silence is the greatest gift we have. I argue that silence is necessary to hear Jesus. I found this little verse in Matthew 12. It's quoting Isaiah 42 about Jesus, the coming Messiah. And Matthew puts it in and says, oh, by the way, this is to fulfill this prophecy. And it says in Matthew 12, 19, he will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. In other words, Jesus isn't going to yell at you. It's his still small voice that will speak to you. So where can we find silence? Well, you got to go to Washington State. Olympic National Park, the Ho Rainforest. Some of you have been there before. Seattle's supposed to be the rainy city, right? 36 inches of rain per year. The Ho Rainforest gets 14 feet of rain per year. And if you venture deep into the forest, you might come across a seemingly random, tiny red stone. It's a marker laid out by the ecologist Gordon Hempton to mark the quietest place in the United States. He didn't just find the quietest place. He's decided it's his job to defend it. So he systematically hikes in the forest on certain days, taking noise readings, and he says, when noise intrusion occurs, I locate the noisemaker. I send them a letter and ask for compliance. The matter is urgent. It's likely that in 10 years, there will be no quiet place left until we take action, unless we take action. We got to be like this guy. We got to track down silence. We got to seek it. We got to chase after it. We got to trek deep into sacred spaces to find the silent place. And once we find it, we've got to defend it was Robert Koch in 1905. He was a Nobel Prize winning bacteriologist. He said, the day will come when men will have to fight noise as inexorably as cholera or the plague. No one listened to him. But here we are. Silence is this gift to us, but we've got to fight to protect it. We've got to fight to protect our quiet place or our quiet time. Make no mistake. Silence is not easy. It's not without risk. And there's death involved. Jefferson Bechti said this. In silence, you'll find a space where your old self begins to suffocate and your new self begins to be renewed. And the truth of God begins to slowly but surely fill and rewire and recalibrate your new humanness. So there's a death involved here and a rewiring, a renewing of our mind that happens in this quiet place. But silence can be rarely experienced without the posture and the spiritual discipline of solitude. So let's talk about solitude. Solitude, Henry Nowen says, is not a private therapeutic place. Rather, it is the place of conversion the place where the old self dies and the new self is born. Are you seeing a theme here? It's not a therapeutic place where everything gets fixed and all's all better. It's a place of dying to yourself and embracing what God has. He's like, "Man, you're not making this sound very good, but it's wonderful. You know, silence is when you're alone with God and your soul. It's not. Isolation. Some of you are hearing solitude and silence and you're thinking, this is a lonely place. Let me show you this little chart I made up for you. Solitude versus isolation. Solitude is actually engagement with God. Isolation is escape. Solitude is safety. Isolation is a dangerous place to be. Solitude is how you open yourself up to God alone. Isolation paints a target on your back for the one who tempts you. Solitude is time to feed and water your soul, to be refreshed. Isolation is what you crave when you don't have solitude. Without solitude. Solitude is a place of drawing strength. Isolation, a place of weakness. And finally, solitude is a place of connection with God. Isolation is a lonely place. So we are not talking about isolation. In fact, Richard, Richard Foster said this, Loneliness is inner emptiness. Solitude is inner fulfillment. So many people complain that they're, they feel far away from God. Do you, ever, do you ever feel like that? I feel so far away from God. I, I wonder if the antidote could be as simple as practicing silence and solitude more often. That we would feel closer to God if we just drew away with him. That's what Jesus did. So then it's not about his absence from us. It's more about our distraction and our disconnection from him. I always think about it this way. Think about a couple in a pickup truck. And the story is told that the old farm couple driving down the road in the truck, and the wife says, we never sit all snuggled up in the truck like we used to. And the husband looks at her and says, you know, I've never moved. Now, in the same way, Jesus has never moved away from us. We just decided to sit in the passenger seat further away. Or worse yet, we've taken the wheel and we've relegated him to the back of the truck only to be available when we get stuck in the snow or things go really badly and then we call him forward. We need to be rescued. Henry Nouwen says this, without solitude, it's virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. We do not take the spiritual life seriously if we do not set aside some time to be with God and listen to him. I recognize that I'm trying to convince you that this is a good thing this morning because our hearts need to be convinced. We need to be convinced that time with God is actually inner fulfillment and not loneliness like Richard Foster says. So let's talk about what happens if we don't do this. All right, John Mark Comer, who writes uh, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, has this list. So I want to share it with you, and I'll just comment on a few of these. So without solitude, we feel distant from God. We end up living off of someone else's spirituality, whether it's the podcast, the book, the sermon, the devotional, whatever's going on. Instead of hearing directly from God, we're having to go through someone else. Without solitude, we feel distanced from ourselves. We lose sight of our identity and our calling, We get sucked into the urgent and move away from the important. Without solitude, we feel an undercurrent of anxiety, that need to control. Without solitude, we get exhausted. This is the one that'll sneak up on you. When you wake up and you go, when do I get to sleep next? Does anybody ever feel like that? Low energy, relying on stimulants of choice. Even when you catch up on sleep, you still feel like there's a deeper kind of tired. I believe this could be a sign that you need some more solitude. What about without solitude, you turn to your escape of choice? We run out out of energy for something life-giving like prayer, and we go for the cheap fix, the glass of wine, the new show to binge, the social media, pornography, And without solitude, we become easy prey for the tempter, which just feels like another move away from God. You're moving further and further away from Him. Without solitude, you start living from the surface and not from your core. And emotional health sets in, unhealth sets in. You're reactionary, like to the smallest thing as a trigger, a throwaway line from your boss, a snide comment from a coworker, the suggestion of a spouse or a roommate, it doesn't take much. And then you lose your temper. Then you're barking at the kids, kicking the dog, getting defensive, sulking, feeling angry, getting sad. I think solitude addresses so many of these things. It doesn't make everything perfect, but it causes you to draw away and get what you need. So what does life look like when you have solitude and silence? This is a much more fun list. You find your quiet place in the park, reading nook, in the back patio, at the, wherever. You take your time. And maybe you don't have a full hour to sit just with God, but you have some time. You slow down and you come back to the present. You start to feel again. Usually on the feelings, when you're silent before God, if you're like me, you usually feel the yucky feelings first. They're the things that bubble up first. Now, if you're not like me, praise the Lord. However, the yucky things come up first for me. Anger, anxiety, doubt, sadness, restlessness. Then come more of the peace and the joy and the love. And when we face the good, the bad, and the ugly in our hearts, what are the things that could bubble up? I made a list. Worry, depression, hope. Desire for God, lack of desire for God. Your sense of God's presence, your sense of the lack of God's presence, your fantasies, your realities, all the lies you believe, the truth you come home to, your motivations might bubble up, your addictions right in your face. The enemy likes to throw things into your face once you try to get silent with God. The coping mechanisms that you reach for to get make through the week, it's all exposed. All the stuff painfully comes to yourself. Andrew, why are you asking me to, to do something so painful? Because... This is the way. It's a place where you're seen and known fully. You don't have to defend your turf. You can just confess. And when you step into this place, you sense his voice cutting through all the noise. And, it come, and you come back to a sense and a place of freedom. Freedom. In light of God's acceptance of us, our failures slowly lose their power over us. We don't have to be like everybody else. We're free to be us. We're free to be in process. We're free to be the mixed bag that we are, the good, the bad, the ugly. And we come to a place where our soul rests. Thomas Kelly called this place the unhurried center of peace and power. So what Jesus meant, I think, when he talked about abiding in John 15. Abide is the, a verb form of abode or home. It's a place of rest. It's when our soul comes home. Ruth Haley Barton lists what you'll probably experience, and this is much of what I just said. Go to the next slide for me. It's a, ton, it's a place where you're going to celebrate the joys. You're going to grieve the losses and shed the tears. You'll sit with the questions you have. Feel the anger. Attend to loneliness. This is not about you getting all your problems getting solved or fixed. This is simply allowing God to be present with you and waiting for him to do what you need. This is not a therapeutic process. This is a dying to self. So how do I do this? Well, here are some practicals. First of all, where? Where in the world could I do something like this? Well, let me give you a couple suggestions. The first is nature. The park is a beautiful place, especially if you can find a place in the park where there's no people. Which is possible, but you might have to work at it. What about your backyard? Could your backyard be a place of quiet for you? I have a blue chair right next to my fireplace. It's my favorite place to sit. And if it's cold, I like to put a fire on. And if I get up early enough, there's no noise. Or stay up late enough, which is another secret, by the way. What about creating your own space with noise-canceling headphones? Some have been thinking about buying these. You need to go buy these. These need to be an investment in your spirituality so that you can tune out all the noise around you. In the last few years, I have learned about floating. If you've done this before, uh, there's a float, sp- a couple places in town, there's a float spa here uh, that I go to on occasion. And you lay in about this much water, so you're not going to drown. And it's like got tons of Epsom salts in it, so you float. And you have the option of turning all the lights off if you want, which I like to do. And you put earplugs ear in and you can't hear anything. You don't feel anything. You're completely weightless. And it's silent. For some of you you are like, that sounds like the scariest thing in the whole world. But I can guarantee you, I have heard more things from God laying in the float tank than I have walking through the park. Why? Because I'm completely available to him. You don't have to go to the float tank in order to hear God. But do you see, sometimes you got to make an effort to get quiet. Finally, sometimes you need a retreat. A retreat could be as simple as taking the day to drive up Highway 32 and finding a beautiful place right next to Deer Creek. For me, it was taking nine days of solo time in Ireland to recover from all of the pain, all of the grief of the campfire. And I needed all nine days by myself. Nine days by yourself is a scary thing when you're an extrovert, but it was a life-changing thing. So this is obviously an extreme example of something you can do, but it's very, very powerful. So here's what I promised you. Ten steps to ten minutes of silence. You can do this. I believe in you. These will also be posted on social medias of all kinds. Cindy is gracious to do that. So first of all, establish a space. With no distractions. Jesus got up early, early in the morning. You don't have to get up earlier in the morning, but that's a great time when there's no distractions. Or like I just said, maybe it's stay up late, late at night because there's oftentimes no distractions then. Number two, it's sometimes helpful to have something to look at or to focus on. Whether that's some people light a candle and they see the candle as this this. Presence of God, like the tongues of fire that came upon the people in the book of Acts. just something very soothing. It could be just looking at nature and just enjoying what nature looks like out your window or at the park or a picture of some kind that really helps you focus on who Jesus is. It's not essential. It's just an idea. Three, settle into a comfortable position. I don't mean lying down so you'll go to sleep, although that's really wonderful. And sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. But in this case, what does it look like for you to be attentive? For me, it's just sitting and sometimes putting my feet up. Sometimes kneeling, especially when I'm really desperate. Sometimes that helps to focus. Number four, start with a goal for yourself a modest goal. Don't say, I'm going to have three hours of silence now. I'm going to emerge completely changed. No, you're probably going to be frustrated after about 20 minutes. I've found 10 minutes is an incredibly rich time. You're not very spiritual, Andrew. How come you can't make it to past 10 minutes? That's a great time for me. I don't compare. I don't go there. You don't have to either. You can start with five minutes if you want. You'd be surprised at how long 10 minutes is. So I set my timer. I turn my phone over. I don't want to be looking at how much time there is. Just want to be attentive with God. I know this might seem like really concrete. It's supposed to be. Number five, take three deep breaths. This helps you focus. Number six. Pray a short prayer of invitation. Holy Spirit, come. That could be it. Or Jesus, I need you. Or Jesus, help. You could pray a really interesting, longer prayer if you want to. I just think it defeats the purpose of being silent. Shorter is better. Number seven, pay attention to what bubbles up in your heart. Number eight, feel those things, name them, sit with them. This is not about running away. This is about sitting with God. And as each one does, you can just hand it to Jesus. Okay, God, will you hold this for me? I'm really nervous about next year and how everything's going to work out, what kind of job I'm going to have. Okay, Jesus, I'm nervous about this. I'm going to hand it to you right now. I just, I just choose to hand it to you. And I literally, I'll just do this. I'll just, it's just helpful for me to have a kinesthetic. Okay, here you go. Just gonna hand it to you, God. I'm Really frustrated about that person who said that thing about me at work. I just, okay, Jesus, I'm gonna hand that to you. You know, just give me the grace that I need. And as things bubble up, you just give them to him. And all of a sudden that water will begin to get stiller and stiller and clearer and clearer. And I believe in the midst of that, Jesus will lead you to some things. He'll speak to you. This is the part where I put a plug in for next week where we talk about how do you discern Jesus is speaking to you and how to hear his voice. That's what we'll talk about next week. If I had more time, I'd talk about it right now. But you just need bite-sized chunks. We need to start with small things. And when the timer goes off, and choose a timer that is gentle. I did this the other day with my cell phone and I was trying to find a sound that was gentle. It didn't work out. I felt like I jumped, you know, and that's not the way you want to end this. Some gentle beeping or buzzing or something And then you simply thank God for his presence with you. Well, Andrew, what if I do this and nothing happens? What if I do this and it's like a waste of time? What if I... Then do it again. This is a spiritual practice. By the way, I think of all the things that we'll talk about in this series, I think this is the most difficult. Because it causes other people that want us to be with them to have to do without us for a little while. And they're going to be complaining that, why aren't you there for me to do whatever for me? It means that we've got to be alone with all of the stuff that's going to bubble up and there's the, stu- the stuff is going to bubble up. But greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And if you are still, he will fight your battles for you. you will begin to put your soul at rest. Guys, I've been living into this for a while now. I've been practicing these things. And I'm pretty transparent. Usually you can see right through me. My life is not the same. It's better, by the way, just to be clear. I am more at peace because I'm beginning to put these practices in place. It's not hard. But it requires sometimes being alone with all of the stuff that comes up. And that's really can be really scary. I want to pray for us this beautiful little prayer that I found this week. And then if you're on one of my text lines, you're going to get it at noontime. It's going to come into your box. Bing. It's not going to be on the screen right now. But that's a advertisement for, you want to get encouragement, make sure you sign up for the text line. I'm longing for you to try this. I'm longing for you to find some of the power and peace that I've found. And Jesus will speak to you and he will lead you and he will help you. So I pray this way. I weave a silence onto my lips I weave a silence into my mind. I weave a silence within my heart. I close my ears to distractions. I close my eyes to attractions. I close my heart to temptations. Calm me, O God, as you stilled the storm. Still me, O God. Keep me from harm. Let all tumult within me cease. Enfold me, O God, in your peace. Make these things true of us, Jesus. Pray for great breakthrough for us, that this week would be an aha after an aha after an aha moment as we spend minutes with you, finding that you are good and your loving kindness endures for all generations. We bless you, Jesus. Amen.